Welcome to The Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Joe Spain's crime thrillers are Irish bestsellers. Her quietly charismatic lead detective, Tom Reynolds, is called upon to explore dark secrets of Ireland's past, secrets that still haunt life in the Green Isle today. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Joe talks about why she loves writing crime and which actor she'd pick to play Tom in an upcoming TV series from the books. But before we talk to Joe, just a reminder that the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, links to Joe's books and social media, and details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Joe. Hello there, Joe, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for inviting me on. It's wonderful. And it is the miracle of modern communications that we can talk like this from literally opposite sides of the <laughs> globe. You sitting in Dublin and me here in Auckland. Very cold nighttime in Dublin. <laughs> oh, is it? It's a lovely summer day here. It's just come up. We had a lot of rain yesterday, but it's back to sunshine today, which is lovely. Oh, you're getting all the sunshine. We're getting <laughs> the rain. So beginning at the beginning, was there a once upon a time moment when you realised that you had to write fiction or somehow your life would be the poorer for not doing it? And if so, what was the catalyst? Yeah, there certainly was. I mean, I've read my entire life, so I've always enjoyed novels. Um, I just never thought that writing one was something that ordinary people did, you know. Um, But I was working in a job in the Irish Parliament and my job involved writing all the time, but writing speeches, legislation, bills, things like that. And there was a point when I was going back to work after the maternity leave of one of my children and I thought I spend all day every day writing, but it's not the kind of writing that I would like to do in in an ideal scenario, in a dream job. Um, And I've loved crime fiction since I was very, very small, but reading it and then watching it on TV... And I like there was I can't think of the precise moment where I thought I'll have a book published, but I definitely just thought I'm going to give this a go and write something that I enjoy writing. And it all kicked off from there. Fantastic. So you've so far published three books in the Detective Tom Reynolds series, and I think a fourth one is due out later this year. Um, They're all very much bedded in social history, Irish social history. And the first, with our blessing, tackles the issue of the way that the Catholic Church handled unmarried mothers in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And I think you had a little bit of a personal connection with with that, uh, the Magdalene laundries or similar in your family. Could you tell us a little about that? Yeah, well, when I started, I'm, I'm I always knew I was going to write books that had some kind of social or political background because that's I'm very interested in current affairs and history and just to give the books a little bit more depth. And at the time in Ireland, 
the Magdalene Laundries and Mother and Baby Homes were really making the headlines. Uh, the Taoiseach, the Irish Prime Minister, had apologised to women who'd been through the system. Um, and there was an awful lot being unveiled. So I thought this would make a very interesting backdrop to my first novel. But I was in the middle of researching that and it dawned on me, my father, who passed away in 1995, had been adopted. Now, he'd never known um, anything about, you know, where he was adopted from or anything. And he had a very modern sense of why he'd been adopted. And he just thought it was because his mother couldn't manage or didn't want him. I mean, he really had a chip on his shoulder about it. But I was putting the dates together with the research I was doing and it occurred to me if he'd been born in the 1950s in Ireland there was no way he hadn't come through this system um, and I rang up our health department here and they're notoriously secret like that one of the big issues in Ireland is if you are adopted you have no rights to any of your information so that's worse again when you're the um, grandchild of a woman who's given her baby but I really struck it lucky I found a woman and because my dad had passed and because it was more or less termed historical, she actually gave me um, his, I, I knew his mother's name, I'd gone and found his birth cert, but she gave me some of the details. And he'd been through a mother and baby home and she'd actually, um, she broke precedent. And I talked to Martin Sixsmith about this. He did the book, um, Philomena, and that was based on true story. And one of the legends that they'd heard in the mother and baby homes was that a woman refused to sign the forms and took her baby out. And this was unheard of. And my grandmother refused to sign the forms and took her baby out at exactly around the same time as Philomena went through a mother and baby home. Now, the sad twist of the story was four years later, she went back to the home and she gave him up for adoption. And the speculation is that a single mother on her own in Dublin, very Catholic country, would have been looked down upon and quite possibly was impoverished and perhaps just returned to where she knew he would be adopted and be looked after, you know. So it was a, a very tragic story, and he carried it all his life. And, and when I realised then that that history was in our own family, it did mean I, I just treated the whole issue very sensitively because I knew what it had done to my dad to be adopted. Um, and I didn't want to just... It became more than just a background then, you know. I, I really felt the emotions of what I was writing about. Yes, and that that really does come through. And your character, Lauren, and... Um and, and the way that she identifies with the girls, it, 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 it does come through. Yeah. And then likewise in the second book, it's set in the Irish Parliament, and you've already mentioned that you worked <laughs> there. I think you were an economic advisor to one of the leading politicians, but you're not working in politics anymore, are you? No, no, I write full time. I was, an, as they all say, I was an economic advisor and also a spy in the basement going by that second book. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I knew where all the, and everything in that book, the entire um, description of Leinster House, the Irish Parliament, is all accurate at the time. Like all those secret tunnels exist and the statues. Um, I, I, there's a statue in the start of that book and uh, the guy, the victim in the very in the prologue he's murdered and he falls across it and that sat at the foot of a bigger statue of Queen Victoria that used to be in the garden and that was actually um, exported to Australia <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's links all over the world yeah. with Leinster yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I, was, I was working in this building day in day out and it dawned on me that um, anytime anyone came to Dublin and I said oh I'll meet you for coffee they wanted to come into Leinster House because it is stunning it's very old architectural very beautiful and I don't see I never saw that because I worked in there you know um, yes. Yeah. Book, I thought, you know, I'm big into kind of political dramas like House of Cards and Borgen. And I was like, I'm going to set my next crime here because I literally know how to get around this building, you know, undetected. <laughs> yeah, all the secret places. Yeah, that's right. 
And then with Sleeping Beauties, I mean, moving on to the third book, it's based around this um, idea, which I'd never heard of before I started reading Irish crime fiction, that there has been uh, some sort of serial, serial killer in Ireland who, who has not even to this day been apprehended. Um, in working, I think, in more in provincial Ireland, is that the case? And, and has he still not been actually apprehended? Yeah, there is a theory um, that there, and, and there's conflict in theories, so you wouldn't know. I mean, everybody's speculating, but a lot of women went missing in a triangle around kind of the, yeah, outside of Dublin, the capital, kind of around the more rural regions. Um, and there's mountains that run on from Dublin down to other counties, Wicklow, and there's a lot of bog land, an awful lot of places, basically, if you wanted to bury a body that's and go undetected, that's where you would... Now, there's some conflicting, a lot of people say that a lot of the time the victims are murdered by somebody they know, and it's easy to kind of ascribe their deaths to some serial killer monster who's stalking the land rather than deal with very real familial or other issues with power in villages or communities or whatever, you know. Mm, yes. Um, but it definitely, the hint of that inspired me to do that. And, I, and when I, there obviously is a serial killer in that book and there's a number of victims. And the starting point for me was actually that very beautiful location where he buried them, Glendalough. Like it's it's one of the most stunning places in the country. And it really does feel like I say in the book, like the, the tomb of God has kind of pressed it into the world, you know. Um, and to take somewhere so beautiful and yes. just make something so evil happen. But that, that the whole of Ireland is very like that. It is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And yet really, really bad things happen here. <laughs> so it's fertile for crime fiction, yeah. you know. Yeah, it certainly is, and you've you, you've all been doing some great work. Your latest one, the confession, and I think that was just out in the last couple of weeks, ha- breaks the mold with the Tom Reynolds. It's not in that series; it's a standalone psychological thriller. And I've seen an interview with you where you say that it's taken your writing to a whole new gear. What what do you mean by that? Initially, I just wanted to take a break from the detective novels because I have a, a long-held view kind of as a reader and now as a writer that if you just keep writing the same detective, you can just get a little bit lazy. And I've noticed that in one of my favourite series, there's definitely often kind of a mid-series slump in terms of the books and then it might pick up again. And I was thinking, okay, I want to sit back now from Tom and think about where his family goes next and everything. And the best way to do that is to not write him um, and write something else. So I had this notion for a plot in my head and I said, well, that would easily work as a standalone. Um, But then I didn't realise what I was doing at the time, but it transpires I was writing a why done it as opposed to a who done it. So the book opens with what happens. But then I had to keep people involved for the next 400 pages. So... (laughs) I, I accidentally, like incidentally, <laughs> gave myself this really tough job without really thinking it through. Um, and then the next thing as well was that in a whodunit, which are detectives, they're generally good guys. People like them. In these kind of psychological thrillers, they're they're the likable, unlikable characters, they call them. You know, they have to be generally unlikable to carry this sinister story. But then you got to stay with them. You know, you got to keep them to the end. So... Yeah, I, I made myself work harder without really intending to do so. <laughs> I take too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> and and you must have liked it so much that I think there is now a second, another why done it? Is it dirty little secret? Yeah, this 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 actually won't be a why done it. It is it is a standalone, but it's a little bit um, it's it's very different again. And 
as I was, you know, I talked to my editor about these things and the agent because you want to know you, you're going to have a contract when you write this book, you know, that they're not expecting. Yeah. Um, but I said, I it is important to show versatility. You know, you can't write the same story over and over. And I know a lot of the psychological thriller genre is based around married couples. Um, and I, I know this as a reader. Every time I go into a shop or I go on Kindle, I'm being kind of you know, bombarded with these ads for those kind of books. So I wanted to do something different again um, from a married couple. So this is a, I describe it as kind of a mix of big little lies and the casual vacancy and then there were none. It kind of crosses through the three of them. But um, it was exciting to write it. Very exciting. Well, that's fantastic. That's lovely. Do they present different challenges from the Tom Reynolds series? They do. They take far more out of me. Done. I, it's not that Tom is easy, but I've now established a set of characters, and I love them. And I, I know where they're going to go in every book. When you do the standalone, you sit down and write a whole new cast of characters, and you know it's like it's like starting a new job or moving to a new neighbourhood. You have to get to know them and then present them to your readers as if you've always known them. But then they only have the arc of that book as well. They start and there's a middle and there's an end and they stay on that page. You're not going to bring them forward in terms of their, you know, later development. So it's it's a tough ask, but, but it gives you yes. far more creative freedom, far more, because you're not locked into this is a good guy or a bad guy. You know, if my detective Tom suddenly becomes horrible, I'll hear about it from readers. <laughs> <laughs> sure would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it would be completely against character as he's written. Yeah, so you're kind of like you are you're boxed in a little bit with your detective series. I mean your your cast of characters in the investigation case can be bad, you know, whatever he's investigating, but your main characters have to, you know, people fall in love with them. They want them to do certain something in every book. So the standalones are they give you all that freedom, but it definitely presents difficulties too. Yes. Look, I gather you've had an approach to have your Tom Reynolds series made into TV, and I saw you say that you thought you'd like the, the actor Barry Ward to play Tom, and I was so curious. I didn't actually know Barry, I must admit. I went online and had a look at him, and he, yes, he definitely is my idea of Tom Reynolds. And I wondered if you had, if you worked that way, if you had images of people in your mind as you wrote your characters and if so who would you get to play Ray and Laura yeah I'm, I'm so happy you like Barry Ward for Tom actually because I had this conversation last week with somebody who doesn't <laughs> and they were saying that's oh. not Tom and I was like what do you mean it's not Tom I wrote Tom I know oh, Tom looks no it is it is <laughs> yeah and I'm thinking of, am I failing spectacularly to convey the image of this man or <laughs> but, well, everybody's different people have different um you know it's all subjective in the head I mean I do I have very clear images in my head of what they look like um, the difficulty, like with Ray, generally he's he's just a really good-looking guy, and I mean, I could give you a list of good-looking guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to be on the auditioning couch when I do them. You know, when they're when they're when I do them, God. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, there's there's a lot of um, I mean, like there's a lot of really handsome Irish actors, so we won't struggle, I think, for Ray if they had a budget, you know. But um, Laura's different because Laura in my head, like she's very Irish looking. She's 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 pretty, but not like absolutely stunningly beautiful. She has kind of long red hair and she's freckles. And I have Googled, I've, I've looked and tried to find actresses that match her. And I haven't got quite that fit. 
you know? Yes. Yeah, that could yes. be, oh, she wouldn't know who they'd, and it's probably better you don't get too attached because, I mean, given the stars I want are generally almost Hollywood stars, you know? <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right, that's right. It is fun. I mean, I must admit that I, I'm writing um, a historical trilogy and, and I have dug out a few pictures fr- from Google and occasionally when I'm stuck, I put them in front of me and think, now, what what would you do in this situation? You know, that kind of, just as a little bit of an inspiration. <laughs> Look, in more general terms, turning away from the specific books to talking about your career Generally, I was very amused to see a quote in an interview that they described you as counting minutes like other women count calories. And you've packed so much into your life. You do have this very busy family as well. Tell us how you do it all. Well, it's it's, it's weird because it is something that people zone in on. And yet I always think, somebody said to me years ago, if you want something done, you ask a busy woman. <laughs> I think we have superpowers, you know, because... You do, like I have four children um, and I, from many children ago, I think once we crossed the threshold and we had two children, I realised that everything about life was managing a schedule. So I slipped into the habit of managing a schedule and, you know, you don't get off time really when you have children. I mean, you could be working a Monday to Friday job, but on your weekend you're, you have to do things, you know, you have to leave the house and bring them places and you're always on. So it just became about like, I mean, I always worked full time and my husband had lost his job. So he was here. Um, so I was used to kind of working all day long and then coming home. And we've got that reverse family. You know, I do dinner in bed and, and then I just start working again. So actually, when I became a full time writer and I wasn't going into work in town anymore, I felt like I had so many hours in the day to do what I was doing, you know. Um, but when I was working full time and I had the children and I was writing at night, like, I can't lie, that was not easy. It was not easy. It was possibly the hardest two years of our life. Um, but I knew if I kept at it and if it took off, then I would be able to write full time. It was like kind of setting up a small business on the side. And I kept saying to the children, like, mommy's busy, but, you know, I'm doing this. So one day I can be working from home now. So yes. I see a lot more of them. You know? Yeah. And how are, how old are they now? I have uh, 12, 9, 6 and just gone straight. So they're, they're a handful. So you've got toddlers to teenagers. That's lovely. <laughs> Very much so. But I have a... Very different management issues at either end. <laughs> my husband is at home as well. So it's not like actually, we, we you know, because we, he does a lot of the, he does all the school runs and a lot of the family home stuff. And I work from home, so I see a lot more of them as well. So we're just blessed. Yes. Yes, that's lovely. Look, if there's one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other, that is there one thing that you've done more than any other that's the secret of your success? I would, I'd say, I'd answer this question by talking about the secret of staying sane. <laughs> because I always think to get set in the book world, <laughs> it just requires longevity and hard work. And I think that's the shock a lot of people and you really only hear about those six-figure deals because they are the rarity everybody else gets kind of a small deal most people still have date jobs it's hard hard work what I did to kind of keep myself sane was I always had the next project to work on so even when there was a book with the publishers and it was due to come out and we're doing publicity I would be working on the next project the next book 
which meant slowly but surely the success started to accumulate without me ever getting too paranoid or too worried or too lonely in the job I was doing, which are all things that writers really struggle with, you know, because it's a it's a very soul alone job. Um, but yeah, I, I always make sure like you can make it the error there of constantly moving the goalposts as well. You know, you don't enjoy the, the presence that you're in. And I got number one last week in Ireland and I was already thinking about the next achievement. But at the same time, it just keeps you moving, keeps the momentum going. So your success comes and actually you haven't even been expecting it. And it's fantastic. That's wonderful. Congratulations on number one in Ireland last week. That's fabulous. So what would you say is the secret to a good thriller and why is the thriller genre so popular in our time? I think it's only second, second only to romance. Mm, I I read recently about this and they were saying that sometimes um, when the world is in a period of great strife, people really turn to fiction and especially crime, I suppose romantic fiction too, yeah, but especially crime fiction because there's always a resolution at the end of the book. Like the good guys generally win yeah. and the bad guys generally go to jail. And when there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of turmoil in the world at the moment. And when we watch the news, you know, there's an awful lot of bad things happening and there's a lot of uncertainty and who knows who's going to press the button. But then you pick a book off the shelf and everything is neatly packed up. And, you know, the world is a little bit more ideal. Even though bad things happen, the bad guys get punished, you know. So I can see why fiction has become both on the page and on the screen, why it's become very popular again. Um, I think the secret to making it really good, I find like one of my secrets actually that I use in the books is I'm I'm a real big fan of the short chapter and the hook at the end. Like once I've taught you a very good plot, like I realise... And I find this as a reader as well, just to keep going, I want to make sure that every few pages I'm given a little a little part of the puzzle, you know, and then I'm like, oh, what does this mean? And I want to keep going. So I write that as well. Yeah. I, I, I kind of decorate the book throughout with little hooks and little bits of the puzzle. So it isn't just one big reveal at the end, you know, it really keeps people reading all right the way through. I'm sure you have some some red herrings as well along the way. Oh, absolutely. Like you bring them up every single route you can think of and then bring them right back and go, you're wrong <laughs> all the time. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you were taking your readers on a magical mystery literary tour, where would you trip advise them to go? Hmm. I think... Yeah, especially for TripAdvisor, one of my favourite books to write was The Confession because I brought them all over, well, mainly Europe in that book, and I enjoyed writing it so much because I'd been to all those places on holiday. So I sent Julie to Capri and Mont Saint-Michel and then they're back. They live in a beautiful part of Ireland. So <laughs> I think it's, I, I think I'm, I'm there both for the grace of God. I should be writing the international espionage because these are the places I want to go in my head and on, and on the page. <laughs> So, um, yeah, they should drink some champagne in Mont Saint-Michel <laughs> while reading The Confession and then maybe pop to Capri and stay in a villa and have some nice white wine. And, yeah, everybody's drinking in nice places in that book. <laughs> so tell me, with four children, did you get to do any of that for your research? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I drew on places I'd gone to in the past. Although we did, actually, we were in France the year I went to Mont Saint-Michel, um, but, you know, Julie goes there and gets married and it's very nice. 
I went there and our youngest was one and a half. And I don't know if you've ever been in Mont Saint-Michel, but it's an abbey with steps and steps and steps and you can't bring the buggy. So I had to carry him on my hip all the way around for about two and a half hours. So it was as as unromantic and unexciting. <laughs> You could possibly imagine that I ended up with kind of curved back at the end of it. And yeah, not as, not as glamorous to be on this end of the writing pen. <laughs> <laughs> Look, turning to Joe as reader, this series is called The Joys of Binge Reading. And we have focused on series readers because these days people, they really are seeking out that series experience. Actually, just to diverge for a moment, I think there was some research that I heard about yesterday where people really seek seek out series because they don't want to invest energy in one book unless they know that there's going to be two or three others. So in the light of that, have you ever yourself been a binge reader? And if so, wh- who are your favourite binge read or- authors? I do. And I, I very much fall into that category of series. And But sometimes it can be also an author, you know, so I, I mean, I'm obsessed with Leanne Mozarty, actually. And it's not that she doesn't, you know, she doesn't have a series, but I know that every single book she writes, I'm going to enjoy. But I'm a big fan of, I mean, I started off with the Agatha Christie Poirot's when I was a teenager and I read every single one of them. And ever since I've been trying to find that author and every now and again, you stumble upon, I mean, I read Louise Penny, she's Canadian. Um, Fred Vargas is French, you know, Anne Cleves does the Scottish detective. Like I, I generally, I'm very much like that. If I read one and I really enjoy it, I tend to go on and buy all of their books, which yes. is exactly what I hope people do for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, Louise Penny is lovely. I've, I've started reading her, yeah. And do you have a current author at the moment? I, I mean, with everything else you're doing, you probably don't have much time for reading, but is there anyone that you're currently reading? No, I do, I do. I read obsessively, actually, and I get an awful lot of books sent to me these days now to kind of give quotes for the cover, you know. So I'm I'm in the oh yes the dream job where not only do I write, but people send me free books. <laughs> so it's fantastic. <laughs> but um, oh, who have I been reading lately? Like everybody, a lot of debuts actually this month. All the debuts that came out. Um, I just finished reading Sarah Vaughan's Anatomy of a Scandal. Um, which was fantastic. But I, I actually, just the week before that, I read Jane Harper's Force of Nature because um, I cheer and I absolutely love that as well. So I literally, I, I've got Sarah Hillary's book beside me at the moment that I got today, the 15 Horse series. So I have a book on the go all the time, all the time. Fantastic. Thank you. Look, circling around from the beginning to the end, at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, is there anything you would change or are you very happy with the way it's gone? I'm happy now. I'm happy now. I think that thing I was saying about um, when you get your first book deal, it's kind of a, it's a shock when you realise that you are not going to be the girl on the train sensation that you thought you were. <laughs> In yeah. Deluded sense when you sign on the dotted line, you know. Um, and I definitely spent the first few months of my very first publishing contract thinking, oh, you know, is this it? Like, and, and I think back now and how excited you should be to actually be published. And if you knew that actually you keep working at this in years to come, all the success comes as well, you would probably enjoy it a lot more. So that's the only thing I would actually, I mean, in terms of how I write, like I've, I've said before, you do learn with every single book, but you can't, you actually have to write them to go through that learning process. You, you should 
you should learn on the job. You should never be able to do it. Well, I'm sure some people are, but not everybody can do it perfect first time, you know. So I wouldn't change anything about that because everything I've done wrong or right, I've gained experience from. Sure. Yeah. So what is next for Joe, the writer? You've got some new projects under development. Yeah, I will have the Tom coming out in September and the next standalone December and I have to write another Tom this year for next year and I'll do a standalone at some stage. Um, I'm doing some TV writing at the moment, but it's uh, I can't disclose anything about it. But then the Toms are going to be adapted as well. Um, so at some point I'll be consulting on them and telling them which Hollywood actors to hire. So um, that's, it's going to be a busy next couple of years. <laughs> it certainly is. How many, do you have a writing goal in terms of word count or? Um, I I generally don't because I'm, I'm a really fast writer. Um, I could write anything up to a thousand words on a good day. Um, and I don't set myself limits because I think it is because I have the children. If I'm, if I'm in the form for writing and it feels kind of peaceful in the house, I will just keep going and going and going. And I like to do a first draft in about a month. You know, I don't like to have it hanging over me for any longer. Um, so I, I, there's days where I just, if I didn't feel like writing, I wouldn't make myself write. And then there's other days where I just go all day long. Fantastic. Did you, how many words did you say? I, it, it just blipped at that point. 10,000, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in a day, yeah, yeah. Because it comes from work in a parliament. I mean, you'd write two speeches in a day and they could be 5,000 words each, you know. So I see writers saying, oh, if only I could write two, 3,000 words a day. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, I was conditioned to write more than you to begin with, you know. I've had a job that involves yes. writing. So to me, it's no big stretch. And, and the ideas come. So I just, I just go with them. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Joe, we are now coming to the end. So where can readers find you online? I'm on Twitter as Spain Joanne and I'm on Facebook as Joe Spain Author. Um, I don't have a web page yet because I'm too busy writing. I'm afraid to add any more <laughs> online presence because I'd have to do it all. I'm, I'm very active on Twitter and Facebook, though, so anybody can find me there. And I guess being a traditionally published author, you don't need to be quite so concerned about things like email lists and that kind of thing i've never even heard of them (laughs) (laughs) lucky you (laughs) okay well it's just been lovely talking joe it really has and uh, i love the tom reynolds and definitely stick with barry ward (laughs) (laughs) hey actually just a little i gather that he that that character is rather similar to your own husband is he yeah, he really is. Now, um, he doesn't look anything like Barry Ward. My husband's far more attractive. <laughs> but no, he's, um, Martin is very, as my husband, like he's he's very kind of quietly smart and loyal and he's very funny. And I definitely wrote those characteristics into Tom because I guess like my husband is my best friend and I knew I was going to be spending a lifetime with this detective. So I wanted to feel very warm about him. (laughs) So, um, yeah, they share a lot of characteristics. That's wonderful. Look, it's been great talking to you. We'll watch your progress with a great deal of interest. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Thanks very much, Jenny. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. 
The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.